Welcome to the Wise Girl podcast. I am Sarah Wiseman, Director of the Sarah Wiseman Gallery in Oxford. In our second episode, I visit the studio of artist Michael Barrett to talk about his exhibition, Hidden Histories, opening at the gallery in January 2020. Michael was born in Toronto, Canada, however considers himself to be a Londoner since arriving for what was supposed to be a two-week stay 30 years ago. He is a narrative artist whose work is steeped in the imagery relating to art history, literature, theatre and everything else that overfills his bookshelves. He is an artist-in-residence for Shakespeare's Globe Theatre throughout Mark Rylance's reign as artistic director. In 2011, just prior to the 2012 Olympics, he was commissioned to paint a large-scale mural on TV Edwards' solicitor's building on Mile End Road. He is a Fellow of the Royal Society of Painter Printmakers and in 2013 was elected to be its 12th President, stepping down in 2019 to concentrate on new commissions. Michael's work is held in many important collections, including Her Majesty the Queen, the British Museum, the British Library, Ashmolean Museum and the V&A. So, here we are at Michael Barrett's studio, and thank you, Michael, for um, inviting me to come to your studio ahead of your um, solo exhibition, Hidden Histories. It's brilliant to be here. It's been a couple of years since I've been. Um, as I came in, I sort of said, oh my God, the piles of things have just, you know, they've grown a bit higher. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. So it's a printmaking studio. We've got beautiful presses and artwork literally everywhere. Yeah, it is a it's a working studio, but it is uh, it's a working studio with a um, couple of busy artists who are so busy making work that they're a little too busy to tidy sometimes. So it's a, it's got a little it's a little it's a little burgeoning at the seams. But uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I always prefer a studio like that. You know, it's just got a it's got more animation. I'm always yeah. a bit suspicious when I go in and they're a bit too clean and tidy. Do you know, like when you go to artists' open studios and everything's like all the all the magic's yeah. been packed no, away. No, absolutely. So. Um, Hidden Histories is your second solo exhibition mm. at the gallery, even though we've worked together like for like years, years and years, yes, yeah. too many years to mention. <laughs> so, you know, tell us a little bit about your inspiration behind the title and um, what we can expect to see in the show. The, the, the kind of the centerpiece of the show is 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 going to be this uh, this uh, map of Oxford, and I think that we had we talked about that a couple of years ago. The map has actually ended up being called um, on the shoulders of giants, but um, the hidden histories is just is is kind of uh, hinting at that sort of uh, the the nature of having having narrative work where the narrative isn't always completely obvious to people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's a it's a little bit uh, um, mysterious, even mm. even in the cases where where things like on the map, I've got everything is identified. Uh, virtually everything in there will have um, will have something written underneath it, but it still won't necessarily be completely obvious mm. what it is. Yeah. So when you do a map and mm. it's like a narrative map, everyone's now thinking of like an ordnance survey who is yeah. listening to this. Yeah. So your map is not sort of um, geographically correct. It's kind of got like the rivers are running through the city that kind of create the structure of the map. Yeah. And then you've got the, the giants are the giants heads from the Sheldonian. Yeah, which, exactly. Which yeah. kind of frame the outside. And then we've got all this incredible information in the middle. I know, yeah. When I first started doing it, my, my fear was, because I've done maps of London before and I've done a map of, uh, of New York as well, and, and there's so much history, so much stuff that I thought, um, it's actually, it's, it's how do you stop from bursting at the seams when you're doing London? But when I was doing Oxford, I thought, gosh, will I be able to find enough 
things to you know to make it uh, um, visually interesting and and um, and I thought that there was going to be a lot of of kind of quiet spaces with not mm -hmm. much happening mm -hmm. in it. But in the end, of course, you've got so much to tell in, in Oxford. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I know, it's as much history as London. I know, exactly. <laughs> so you're right, the structure uh, um, I decided to do, and it's basically what I've done with London as well, actually, is, is the water is the, is the constant structure. So, yeah. so I, have, I have the Thames with London and I've got the rivers in Oxford. Beyond that, because like, you know, like every major city like this, um, uh, everything seems to happen right in the center. Yes. So, um, so to make it geographically accurate, you either have to have tiniest little, uh, uh, little details mm -hmm. in the bits where all of the most interesting things happen. Yeah. Or you have to just abandon all sense of geography. But what I've done, what I have done though with the Oxford one, the colleges are where they should be, yeah. more, or mm -hmm. more or less, yeah. more or less. So, um, so someone they, will check. Someone will check, <laughs> someone will check, and I will get it wrong. At least that was the desire, was to get the colleges as right as I could, and then everything else is, is, is wrong. Mm -hmm. so, um, <laughs> so, the, so the pubs are not necessarily where they should be, and yeah. you know, so it's yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, so map making is like a real focus for your work. What really like appeals to you about the format of using a map? Yeah, it's an interesting one actually because um, well, what happened originally was that I um, I decided that I should do something based on the Canterbury Tales. So I thought, how can I do that and get all of the tales in and have something about the journey? And I went along to a, an exhibition at the British Library called Magnificent Maps, and the penny just dropped. I just thought, ah, okay, I'll do the Canterbury uh, Tales as a map. Yeah. And then I've just kind of gone from there. Actually, mm. it's it's um it's then it's you you uh, other ideas that I've had. I've thought, oh, actually, that would be quite appropriate to a map as well. And yeah. and um, I'm always working on a map. There's yeah. just uh, you know the background of my work. I'm just always doing research for 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 something mm. something uh, to do with maps. So this map is like mm. this one's been like two years in the making, mm. hasn't it? Yeah, it has yeah. been. It has been, and a lot of trips to Oxford actually. I've got a, um, I've got a nephew. So you know the pubs well. I know the pubs very well now. <laughs> I think there's probably not one that I've included that I haven't had a pint in. <laughs> well, it would be wrong. Yeah, to, that's what so, I thought. Yeah. I thought this is all research, and uh, um, you know, yeah. it's all quite important research. So, um, but I've got yeah, I've got a nephew who works at Oxford University mm -hmm. Press, and he was uh, um, really helpful. He met with me a couple of times just wandering around the city mm -hmm. and he told me um, some of the anecdotes that have ended up in the map um, and uh, and pointed me in the direction of others and and so yeah it's literally been been a two-year a two-year long mm -hmm. fact-finding thing okay so what is your favorite random oxford fact that you found is there is there a favorite well there is i mean the, the um the one that because what what there is with all of these with all of these maps is there will be something that i will hear there'll be one little detail that that I, that I hear that I just think oh my gosh I've got to do a, a, mm -hmm. a map because of that because I can get it in and so there's always one and the one that I heard quite early on before I really thought of doing a map of Oxford even was when I heard that um, that Maudlin College to avoid losing all of their deer to the Ministry of, uh, of uh, War mm. uh, um, uh, so they could be used as food they decided to reclassify all of their deer as vegetables yeah I didn't know that <laughs> until you you told me that I've lived in Oxford well it's about five years old so <laughs> there's always something um... I know so I heard that one and I just thought oh my god that is wonderful and so uh, the the whole map 
kind of grew around that mm -hmm. anecdote. At the gallery, when we first, we got our proof copy of the, of mm. the map, we just, you know, we poured over it for, for ages, <laughs> like picking up our favourite our favorite ideas. And I love the fact for University College, you chose the um, Shelley Memorial, mm. because it's such an unusual sculpture, you mm. know, of this, this beautiful marble, slightly androgynous sculpture of yeah. a dead Shelley that's been washed up on the beach. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very bizarre. It is very bizarre. Some of the college will be very pleased with what I've put in <laughs> and others will, will probably, will probably yeah. not. One of the trips I did to Oxford, I actually walked every college. Yeah. So there were things where, where there didn't appear to be anything online. Like, for example, I think it's, um, which one is it? I'm just looking at my own list. The, oh, the, the uh, Mansfield College has got this wonderful sculpture in the quad mm -hmm. that I couldn't find any um, information yeah. about online. So it's only through going there that I saw that yeah. sculpture and I thought, that's the thing. Yeah. And so for every one of them, there was that moment where I just thought, Oh, this is absolutely yeah. perfect. And I was impressed that you got things like um, like the beating of the bounds. Oh, um, yeah. You know, because in that ceremony, you often, one of the boundary lines is actually in the middle of Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> no, I didn't. So, <laughs> so at some point in the year, they will go and beat the bounds in the middle of Marks oh, and Spencer's. Oh, that is really funny. Which is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's, it's a really bizarre thing to see. And um, the one I was going to actually ask you about was, um, which we, we didn't understand and we, we all scratched our heads mm. and we didn't google it on purpose um which is the knight on horseback and you reference a glass of sherry oh right what, yes. what, what's that referring well to? that is um in the um the, the book of examination rules there there's or, or or somewhere like that there's some historical document that actually um says that if a student turns up to the examination hall dressed in a suit of armor and riding on horseback, they have to be with a sword as well, oh um, uh, then they will be given a free glass of sherry. Okay, now we've said this, will a student actually test out this theory? <laughs> I don't know if it's ever been done. I don't know if it's ever been done, but apparently that is still a rule. With a sword. With a sword. Yeah, yeah don't forget to, your sword. Don't forget the sword. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously everyone's going to be testing their knowledge yeah. against this map because yeah. you know that's what we love about the, the maps you've done in the past like, especially like the new york map of days mm. everyone immediately ser searches for like significant like key birthdays or anniversaries yeah, exactly. exactly will there be a key oh yes there will be a key yeah. there will be a key but i would uh, i would actively discourage kind of having them too readily present because it's just it, it it's all people do is just kind of look at the keys <laughs> yeah. rather than looking at the artwork yeah. Yeah. um i think the thing is about um the the, the map of days so yeah you're gonna have the new york map of days mm. in in there um when you're doing something and you're covering you know kind of every day of the year like that then there will be um some of the days are actually quite bleak because things will happen in the in the history of a city yeah. that are too important to leave out but almost too grim to include but i but i'd still do them yeah. and so um so so yeah so i kind of discourage people just solely looking for their birthdays because then then people will go Oh my God! You've got uh, yeah. You know, my 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 birthday is uh, um is the death of something. You know, yeah. de John Lennon being assassinated or whatever. Yeah. You know. Um. Uh, so yeah. My favourite one is um the Raven Edgar Allan Poe mm. the Raven being published. Yeah. Um. Because it's so random. Because everyone goes, why is there a Raven? And then I go, don't you know about Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. Um. So uh, you, I always um with the maps for when I'm like um, describing them to talking to people about them in the gallery. I always pick out a few random things and kind of memorise them. Exactly. And then I always leave the rest to chance because. Yeah. 
you, you want to always approach the map fresh and almost discover it with who yeah. who you're talking to. You don't want yeah, to no, study it too much. I think with all of these ones, they they end up being virtually unknowable because they, uh, you know, even if you're really you feel like you're really familiar with them. Mm. Uh, even for me, if I if I haven't gone to a map because I've now done thousands and thousands of references yeah. and things, and so people will say. Uh, say to me, oh, what's that? You know, and I'm like, oh, crikey. Um, you know, and I have to think myself, what yeah. exactly is what, that? What exactly um, is that? But, but I think that that's kind of the joy of them is that they are, um, they're, they're always slightly fresh. Mm -hmm. I think when you go back to them again and again, you, you're always finding something that you haven't noticed before or that you've forgotten that you'd seen before or something yeah. like that. So it's a key thing, that, that exactly. journey through the map and exactly. that element of discovery for the person when yeah, they when absolutely. they first encounter it. Well, yeah. I can't wait to share it with people in Oxford. I think it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, it'll be fun. So we're going to talk about um, Bruegel's work and um, your references to him um, in this next section. But just before we go on, I think I should explain that your studio, you're kind of like trapped between quite a busy road mm. and like a railway line. Exactly. Your studio is almost in the archway, isn't it? It virtually is. We, we have these Victorian arches out back. It, it is the, um, the line that goes behind us is the line from London Bridge to everywhere. Okay. So it's very wide and very busy. But actually, you know, inside we hear very little mm. uh, um, noise from it um, but when you're working out in the uh, in the back if yeah because we, we do the, all the all the heavy etching and everything like that if you're doing spit biting with acid and things okay, we do that in back. the arches <laughs> that goes in the Victorian arches out back yeah and uh, um, you certainly hear the trains then mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty noisy. Studio. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's quite interesting because I don't know, it's sort of with all your references to London and history, sort of, mm. I don't know, there's something romantic about being near a railway line and almost in a railway arch. Don't ask me why, but yeah. it kind of somehow well, fits. Yeah, it does. It does. And actually, one of the things that I, um, that I learned um, along the way, you, you hear these, these fascinating little bits. I had an architect um, who, uh, who's, he's an um, architectural historian as well as just being an architect. And he came along to the studio. And we've always just assumed, that because this um, the studio, the, the, the name of the street is Blue Anchor Lane. And we, um, and we thought, well, it's fairly close to the river, so it's probably just a, a nautical kind of, kind yeah. of thing. You, you know, you just uh, be forgiven for thinking that. And he said, no, actually, what it was when the um ironically we're talking about the uh, um canterbury tales uh when the pilgrimages used to go uh, from london bridge to canterbury along the way there were these people who would give succor to the uh, to the to the pilgrims and they were called anchorites oh. um and they were they were in established places and they would have bread and water just for for the for the pilgrims uh to to just stop and rest momentarily they had different levels the anchorites were some of them were more holy than than others and the the holiest ones were called were, were blue anchorites and oh. so this actual this this uh this lane was the was the location of a of a blue anchorite um along the the uh, the, the pilgrimage to canterbury that's a, that, is a, that is an incredible fact. I know. Considering I know. how much you love I know, Chaucer I know. and the Canterbury Tales. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It is pretty. It is pretty bonkers. Yeah. But yeah. So that's um. There all we are. ties in. All, all ties, ties in. in. So bizarrely, we both went to Vienna at different times mm. um, in 2019 and oh, sorry, 18, and saw the Bruegel exhibition. Yeah. And it was a pretty amazing show, wasn't oh, it? Oh gosh, it was. Um, I think that it is the best exhibition of any artist I've ever seen mm. in my life actually yeah. I would say they said it was seven years in the making because 
they had Gosh. to get you know so many governments involved yeah, to loan yeah. these works yeah. to move these incredibly historical works mm. and just it was the biggest exhibition they've ever got together of all his paintings in one place well yeah the uh, the, the the paintings of the season so he did um they there, there were actually originally there were six yes, paintings right, that yeah. he did um one is is so lost that they don't even know what it looked like there's not even drawings or sketches nope. or anything no they just refer to it as spring yeah exactly exactly um and so what they were was they were all covering two months they were like uh, um so there was a i can't remember exactly how it works whether it was january february or whether it was december and january and then february and march yeah. or whatever it, it, but but anyway they were all um covering two month periods the the of the five remaining ones one was um was too delicate to to leave uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Yes. They they just thought it was just too dangerous for it to travel because it's a very delicate panel. Mm. Um, but the other four, I think that it, it was the first time that they were together for three hundred and fifty four years. Yeah. So that it was, was a, pretty staggering. It was pretty staggering. It was a big deal. And they are they were in incredible condition. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Good. I was amazed actually at the condition actually of yeah. a lot of the yeah. work in the show. I, I mean, know. they were you know people have really looked after these. They these. they looked um, fresh. They, they did they, look they, fresh, they looked didn't like they? they'd just been painted. Yeah. Um, more more fresh than than so many things from from literally hundreds of the years yeah, later. Absolutely. It's quite incredible, actually. It was actually. really incredible. And I think it's possibly one of the busiest exhibitions I've ever been to. You know, mm. it was, you know, jam-packed. It was. You know, you had to have a lot of stamina to Yeah, to well, I spent the, the day... Um, I, I only went one time to it. I just went on that one day. I th thought afterwards I probably should have gone. I went with a friend and um, and we both thought that we probably should have gone twice over two days. But mm. what we did do was we got there right when it opened Okay. and we stayed in the exhibition for six hours. Wow. So we just kind of kept going Good back road. and going round again. Yeah. And what, what you did see when you did that, because there's always this, um, if, if you, especially if you travel to go to an exhibition, you have this compulsion to get there as early in the, yeah. uh, as possible in the morning. But of course, so does everybody else that's the most keen on getting there. They all yes, want they to do, do that. Yeah. And what we realize is that by the end of the time that we were there, so we were there from 10 o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And by 3 o'clock, uh, it was quite empty. Actually, oh, okay. it was actually a lot quieter. Yeah. I mean, I say quite empty. It was still, you could still actually, you could get in front of any painting you wanted to virtually on your own. Yeah. But it was just breathtaking. Absolutely. I went round, I mean, went round once, you know, and did the, you know, that, that awful exhibition visit thing where you're like shoveled along yeah, in the yeah, crowd. Yeah, yeah. So you did that thing first and like, you know, you're politely trying to read all, all the information and then you get to the end, you have a bit of a breather and then you go back to the beginning and, and basically exactly. do it all again and yeah. like yeah. you do and just yeah. spend actually spend time you know looking at the artwork rather than reading or like thinking I've got to get on to the next one which is a really important thing to do oh yeah and you, you know, edit it too for the yeah. second for the second time and the second and third and yeah. the fourth time around whatever however many you do, you do. each time you edit it yeah. and you and you just go back for the absolute ones that you know you have to see again yeah and take them you, exactly. and, and yeah. absolutely take them in um and so but from this exhibition you you actually did a series of etchings mm. based on the season well yeah. yeah i mean i had no i i had no real idea that i was going to that wasn't something that i didn't like go to the exhibition with that in mind yeah. But, um, but what happened was I, I started doing drawings for for the winter uh, um, one, the Hunters in the Snow was the uh, the Bruegel painting, and uh, um, and I started just doing drawings kind of based on that while I was there, and uh, and then did um, did an etching 
almost as soon as I got back yeah. uh, uh, to London. And then it just occurred to me, and I, but I set mine in a in a in a London park rather than a mm -hmm. um, you yeah. know, rather than in well well his his are actually they're they're there's kind of they're kind of mythical uh, uh, landscapes. Yeah. He's not, not and there's no real place. There's no real place because he was you know he was from uh, um, from quite flat land yes. and and every one of them has got sort of a mountainous kind of yeah. aspect to them and a long vista um and so that's what what i tried to find in london is i tried to find parks where i could get um where i could get that sense of a of a long vista so of, you're of up a height. high exactly. and then you can like go down because one thing that really struck me was in your series is that you that you have got that that, that, mm. that there's that structure in in the artwork exactly the other yeah. thing i find really i find really interesting is that um, in your series, it's like it's, it was almost like a comment on how we now use the landscape mm. as people. Because in your series, everyone is kind of at their leisure. They're picnicking in the Primrose true, Hill. Yeah, yeah. They're cycling um, in the Serpentine one mm. for autumn, and then in the Richmond one, which is uh, winter. That you know there was a dog walking and you know just playing in the snow. Yeah. Whereas in yeah. the Bruegel series, everyone is at work. Exactly. In some way, yeah. they're either yeah. you know they're either like moving, dri driving the cattle, um, or they're like taking a break from harvesting or haymaking, and it's actually only in the winter one, they're actually you see people at their leisure because obviously the land is frozen and you see people ice skating and playing on the ice. You do in the background. The yeah. people in the foreground though are are all coming back, back from from, from a from a fairly disastrous hunting trip, yeah. so which is yeah. why they look so depressed because I think they've got one little yeah. tiny. Th Thing yeah. with them a little, a little was that intentional squirrel. though my sense of having yeah, people at play it, it's parks that that is what parks are for us now yeah there's 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 almost no sense of uh, of people um of people working and and if you've decided you're going to set it in a london park then uh then i thought it was quite important to be as true to the to the spirit of what we use the yeah. parks for mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and you're right with the autumn one I've got the cyclists, um, but I've also I've um, I've still referenced uh, um, as as he did in in his in um, Return of the Herd. I think it was, uh, yeah, I think that's yes, the one. Return of the Herd. Um, yeah. That he had uh, he had um, fishermen. Yeah. And um, and so I um, I did a little bit of research to find out. Um, I think that uh, that Hyde Park is the only park where you can both cycle and fish. Okay, another <laughs> random fact. <laughs> That's what's great about hanging out with you. Yeah. <laughs> There's always things, all these random things. Um, the series has like been really successful. It, we just went mad. People went know, absolutely yeah. mad for it. What's it like when you've done like a series of work like that, and then one piece from the series just you know just takes off? Well, you can only be happy about about something that you've done uh, um, being that uh, that successful. But it's always a little bit dispiriting for the, for the other poor three. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that are like watching their sibling uh, uh, um, fly off the wall. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. But you know, it's it's. Um, I've been an artist long enough to know that you can never uh, um, complain about something doing well. So it's like, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like it's like an unforgivable complaint. Is, yeah. Oh, I'm really disappointed because that you know because I sold them so quickly that I just I, I don't have any left. Well, you know, just make something new. Make something new. <laughs> just move on. <laughs> If you think about Bruegel's work, there's just such a rich display of like human nature mm. on on all different kinds of levels. Mm. Um, would you actually go back to him and draw upon another work? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I will definitely be um, because Bruegel um, Bruegel is a really interesting one for me because I I went to that exhibition um, 
largely because the the friend of mine that uh, that I went with, um, it was his idea. He said, okay. he said, oh, I, I had this idea to go to Vienna and see uh, see the Bruegel exhibition. And so I said, well, yeah, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll go along with you. I'd always liked Bruegel, but um, but I came away loving him. Yeah. He, he's now he's absolutely one of my favorite artists. In fact, I went um, I went back to Vienna this this mm -hmm. uh, last December. Yeah. Because there was a Dürer show on at the Albertina. Yeah. So I went to see the Dürer show, but I went back to the Kunsthistorisch and and saw the the Bruegels that they have because they still have the biggest collection of Bruegels yeah. in, in the world. Yeah. So they still had about twelve paintings there. Yeah. So you could still um, go back and yeah. Enjoy and there's them. one and there's one room that was I have to say was completely empty. Oh wow. Just me. Just you. Just me and and my wife just going around looking at these Bruegels and I was like. 12 months and all of a sudden in the exact same place there's you know you just have as much time to look at these things as you want <laughs> that was quite spectacular um i will definitely be returning to Bruegel. yeah yeah there's no question yeah um and Dürer. And Dürer. Dürer. Dürer is coming too actually is he coming too <laughs> i was going to say like you know is there another artist living or dead that is is another sort of like driving force of inspiration for you well that the i mean the, the 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 probably the major um inspiration for all of my work it's it's kind of an offbeat one in in this context because we're talking about all these historical things and and Bruegel and Dürer, um, but the um, the person I have the most catalogues and most books by, yeah, Picasso is a, probably a close second, but it's definitely David Hockney. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm a huge fan of David mm -hmm. Hockney and mm -hmm. uh, um, and so I, I think that he's he's been a, a, a huge. A huge influence, especially on my painting. Yeah, the way my painting is developed. So we've got four paintings mm. in the show. Um, again, they're seasonal. Was that yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like you're yeah. cross-referencing yeah. all around here, and um, they're they're based on Hockney's dogs. Mm. And you and Hockney have kind of a shared dog kind of. Look. Yeah. Well, he he had um, he had two little uh, miniature short-haired Dachshunds when he was uh, um, when he was living in um, I think it was when he was in L.A. actually, mm -hmm. um, uh, and they were called Stanley and Bodger, um, and uh, and he was he, he adored his little Dachshunds and he did books uh, um, where, where you know there's whole collections of drawings and paintings that he's done of them. Yeah. Uh, really lovely intimate little uh, little pieces and I've I've just always loved them. I didn't get the the, the Dachshund for us uh, um, because we have a, we have a little Dachshund named Scout, and um, and Scout it wasn't it wasn't a, a kind of a Hockney reference that got me because <laughs> <laughs> they got me uh, going for a Dachshund. We just we gave our our daughters um, the, the the promise of a dog for Christmas. Yeah, and uh, um, and then we said to them the the only thing is um, you have to come up with a breed that can fit through a cat flap because we're not always around and so the dog has to be able to go out into the garden. Yeah, so you have to find a, a breed that will fit through a cat flap and they came up with with a Dachshund and initially I was like oh crikey because they just always seem like quite comedic dogs. Yeah. But I didn't realize just what wonderful little natures they've got. Yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah. So we do we do have the uh, the Dachshund in common, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And um, and so what is it about Hockney and his work that you know is, is a, such a source of inspiration? Well, for the paintings, um, there, there's especially as his work has has developed. I, I love kind of every period, virtually every period of his of his painting. You know, right from the earliest student work, I think he was just he was always uh, an incredible artist. But these these ones that he did of the um, of, of like the Yorkshire uh, Yorkshire woodlands, 
um, the really colorful ones yeah. are the ones that have really that have really hooked me. And uh, um, I don't know. There's just there's something about them. The the way that the way that I approach those paintings, they're more influenced by him than there's, they're not really um, copies of mm. of his kind of work or anything like that. They're really just trying to kind of. Uh, imbue that spirit of, of Hockney into yeah. them. And the way that I paint them is um, different to the way that I do anything else mm -hmm. because there's, um, there's no plan. They just, they start quite organically and then um, just build up in, in layers. I watch for how the piece is developing mm -hmm. and I'll usually have one or two on the go. Yeah. They are, they are far and away the most fun I have mm -hmm. making art, those pieces. In practical terms, as an artist, how do you navigate your own creative ambitions when you're doing that? In, in the, is it... Well, I think the thing is that all all artists are are inspired by by other by other artists. It's just it's just the nature of the beast, and it's a question of whether you are a little bit more secretive about it or whether you um, are are a little more obvious. And and I I go beyond obvious to flagrant, you know. But but I think that that it's like I have. If I'm if I'm inspired by somebody, um, like with the with the artist dogs, if I'm inspired by their work, then I credit them. Right. So we've talked about and we've loosely referenced actually as we've been chatting, kind of cats and dogs. Mm. And so you've got this whole series of your works, which is like artists, cats and dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So just just explain the concept to people. Yeah, it is it is kind of a bizarre one. Um, well, those all started from. I really love Chagall's work. Um, uh, it's another another huge reference, uh, um, kind of a touchstone for me. At the time, it just seemed like a completely out there idea to do um, uh, to do a picture of Chagall's dogs in love. So so it was um, he did uh, one of his paintings was the birthday and it had a um, had a couple that were that were kissing, but the 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 man is is kind of floating above the head of the yeah. woman. Mm -hmm. And so I did them as as uh, as a, a pair of cocker spaniels, <laughs> and uh, and and so just did this one called Chagall's Dog in Love, and um, on its own it was just such a bizarre and random little piece in my work. I just looked at it, and I just thought, my gosh, what were you thinking of? But I knew that for it to 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 make any sense, it had to have some context. So I um so I did a, another one. I did mm -hmm. another artist, and uh, um so that I could have a pair. But then I got a, a, a third idea, and, and basically it's just kind of snowball. It, it's the, the, so basically what they are is they're, they're all homages to artists whose work I, I really admire, but through portraits of their imagined pets, or in Hockney's case, real pets. Real you pets. Know. They're often very funny. And some of the ideas must be like a complete gift, like your Banksy's dog, which reference, um, references the piece Love is in the Bin, which is the painting that sold at auction and then yeah. immediately shredded. Yeah. And so that must be like an absolute gift of an idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really a funny one. I mean, that one, the idea um, for that one came at the moment when I saw the painting being shredded. Yeah. I just thought, oh, crikey, that is just perfect. And so, and so what it was basically was I did a... It's sort of like a white painted brick wall with a fire alarm on it, but then I've got a a Banksy style um, spray painted dog going to catch the uh, the fire alarm like yeah. it's a frisbee, and then I've shredded it. You're yeah. right. So it's like. But I love the detail because you've only done shredded it to two thirds, which is exactly what happened to the painting. Exactly. And when I was sort of doing a little research on this. Um, I found out that the that Banksy actually intended the entire thing to shred, I know, and the whole thing kind of malfunctioned, which makes it even 
even funnier. It is. It is wonderful. But it's it's what what's ended up happening with his, of course, is that um, at the moment at which it was shredded, so somebody had just that the hammer had gone onto the gavel yeah. and it was sold, and then. It shredded. Um, if it had completely shredded, it's hard to know what would have happened to the value. But by the um, by, by the fact that it malfunctioned and and only went two thirds in, it, it in instantly went up in mm-hmm. value at least by double. Absolutely, <laughs> um, and um, there were several new um, artists, mm. cats and dogs, um, in the in the show. Mm. And one you just showed me this morning actually was the Yayoi Kasama yeah. piece. And and I, I completely love that piece because I'm like I'm staring at it and you're and I'm looking at all these like pumpkin gourds and I'm going, Where's the dog? Where's the dog? <laughs> and yeah. then all of a sudden I go, Ah, I can see yeah, it's yeah. Once, brilliant. once, once seen, you can't unsee it. But yeah. it's, uh, um, but yeah, I, I would, I would hope that that one would be, you know, just be a little bit subtle, so that it's not, it's not, yeah. uh, it's yeah. not too glaring. But that one is, yeah, that literally, um, I was just printing that in Whitstable yesterday. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, the ink is dry, but, uh, but, but only just. Only just. And so, as you mentioning that, we're here at your studio, and this clearly is like an etching studio. Mm. And you just mentioned you were silkscreen printing yeah. in Whitstable, yeah. and you clearly don't do any painting here so where, where else do you work yeah i know i um so so now actually um the, the the work that will be in the exhibition will be done in one of four locations actually because there's two um there's two st- studios outside of this one that i use for doing um uh silkscreen printing and um but there's also the, the one of the places that i do the silkscreen printing he also does digital printing oh, yeah. and i did my my first ever digital print with him which is quite uh, um which was quite a, a shock to the system actually i never in a million years would have thought that i would do a digital print but um but with all of these um with all of these prints in fact with everything i do um the the idea is paramount so um so i get the idea first and then i decide what is the best way to, mm-hmm. to do this yeah. and if it's a mezzotint then I do a mezzotint if it's a uh, uh, um, if it's a woodcut then I'll do a woodcut yeah. uh, um, and sometimes it's meant that I've had to learn new techniques mm-hmm. to do that yeah. but but I um, but I always think that that, that uh, you know the idea should should come first yeah so yeah so there's two silkscreen studios one in Charlton and um, and the main one that I use is this one in uh, in, in Whitstable it's in it's actually in the countryside um, now she used to be right on the beach mm-hmm. in Whitstable, but she's uh, she's now in the uh, in the countryside uh, um, between Whitstable and Faversham. Oh yeah. And uh, and as you say, the um, the the etchings are all done in uh, in the studio that we're in now. Uh, but then I paint at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I just yeah just like to to mix it up. Mix it up and not always be in like one working space. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so this digital print, which I have seen. <laughs> Just say because everyone's going to be curious. What yeah. digital print? So, well, what's it of? Well, it's uh, um, last year there was a. I think it was last year there was a an exhibition of the work of uh, Cindy Sherman, uh, um, who's an artist I've always really liked. But there was an exhibition at the um, National Portrait Gallery. And it was a huge retrospective. I, I'm, I don't know if I've ever seen a bigger exhibition of any artist's work in my life, actually. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely enormous. Yeah. You kept on feeling that you come to the end and there's another room and another room. It was, it was quite spectacular. And um, and I got uh, you know an idea to do a uh, to do a Cindy Sherman's dog while I was still at that exhibition. I thought it would be really a fun, just a fun notion to do that. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, um, but then but then I just thought, well, how could I possibly do it? The 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 technique that probably lends itself uh, the the most to something photographic is 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 doing a mezzotint because you can make it look kind of like a photograph. Yeah. Um, but I did. I just didn't feel that it would be that it would be quite right. So, um, so I actually used photographic techniques and and um, and did it as a as a, a digital print. So it was just done as a as a digital file, which was uh, um, uh, um, printed onto archival paper by um, by um, by this man in uh, in Charlton, Peter Bennett, uh, yeah. uh, printed that. So yeah. I'm really, I think it's a brilliant image and um, it's really successful. And I'm fascinated to see how, sort of how it goes down yeah. um, with your, you know, your fan base. I know, I know. It could be quite marmite that one. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, just sort of um, in closing, um, you recently stepped down as president of the Royal mm. Society of Painter Printmakers. Yeah. Um, you know, how was that for your career and did it have a really huge impact? It certainly had a huge impact on my time. I mean, it's uh, uh, it was uh, five years that I did that, and I had been told beforehand that it would uh, that it would you know kind of weigh fairly heavily, and and you, you know, there would be a lot of uh, of responsibilities through it. But uh, I wasn't totally prepared for how much it would kind of take over my <laughs> life. I was only the twelfth president for a society that started in eighteen eighty. Wow! You can see that yeah. five years is it's not short. is is quite short. Yeah, uh, it hasn't been recently because there was a we we've decided to reduce it down to five years. For the, the so the last the president before me only did three years. Uh, president before that did five, and the president before that did um, did three years. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's it hasn't been kind of a lifelong sort of yeah. job yeah. Uh, uh, since since the uh, the Victorian era really but uh, um, but yeah the first the first three presidents I think is 81 years they were in office for goodness so, yeah, yeah that's a huge undertaking yeah I imagine you're constantly brimming with ideas Michael you know this exhibition is uh, you know January 2020 and I guess a lot of the work you did for this show was kind of towards the end of uh, 2019 so what can we expect from Michael Barrett throughout the rest of the year yeah, it was uh, a lot of it was uh, um, 2019, or at least very late in 2019. Although um, there's, I think, two of the prints that you've got in the show um, were actually done in t in 2020, <laughs> and in fact, I think that's the date that I'm going to put on the uh, shoulders of giants too, because it's because uh, um, this is although we printed them you know right at the end of the year yeah this is the first showing for mm. it so um so yeah so I'll have a few that are that are listed as 2020. I I've just been to. Um, Vienna again, of course, to see uh, uh, to see the Albrecht Dürer show, and and I think there's going to be there's definitely going to be something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dürer-ish coming along. Yeah. I, won't, I won't um I won't do another uh, um series of four, I'm sure, but uh, um, um, but uh, but yeah, I'll definitely do some things based on that, and I'm working on another big map now too. As I always have something on the go. There's, yeah. there's um, usually usually uh, multiple things. Yeah. Uh, that I'm kind of working out the research for. So uh, yeah. It's so. always very exciting to see. Uh, to see what comes next because you've got an encyclopedic kind of mind and we never quite know what direction where you're going to yeah. head off in but yeah it is it's one of the things that i've actually always been very keen to avoid is um is just being uh known as the guy who does the do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's like um, there, there are there are a lot of uh, of really great artists actually, but but who can who can be pigeonholed remarkably precisely in in just one kind of thing. And and uh, um, I do like to to have, you know, I like to work in series, but um, um, but I like to be a little bit loose with them and and kind of just 
keep the galleries guessing as to what's coming next. Oh, well, that's always the fun part of being a gallerist, is that we <laughs> never quite know where anything is going next, <laughs> which is what, you know, which is basically why we love doing what we, we do. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much, Michael, for having me in your studio. Um, all the work for the exhibition kind of left the studio this morning to, mm. to go up to Oxford. Yeah. So we're going to thank the listeners for joining us to, um, to listen to the Wise Girl podcast. Um, it's been brilliant actually sitting down and having a chat with you um, discovering more about your work and your approach to your work. For people listening, um, you can see Michael Barrett's exhibition, His Hidden Histories, at the Sarah Wiseman Gallery in Oxford, um, the 18th of January to the 15th of February 2020. If you're listening to this after the show, you can actually still see all the work on the gallery website, which is wisegal.com, and you can see images of all the work talked about in this episode. This episode has been sound edited by Bespoken Media. If you enjoyed listening, I'd be so grateful if you would take a moment to rate and leave a comment as it helps others to discover us. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.